Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Business of Agriculture. It's me, your host, Damian Mason, but you already knew that. You heard that in the introduction. The Business of Agriculture, as is now the new custom, is available not only just on audio format, wherever you get your podcast from, via Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud. You can always find it at DamianMason.com. You also can log on to YouTube. That's right. We are videoing for the last eight or ten episodes, and we're going to continue to do it on YouTube. Go to D. Mason Comedy. That's my YouTube channel and find the playlist that says business of agriculture you can also find the playlist that says uh, do business better click on it subscribe to my youtube channel please it'll help visibility and more people can hear this great message the business of agriculture today has a fantastic guest you're going to like it because i ran across this guy i ran across this guy several years ago he is a member of the montana grain growers association they have been a client of mine the montana grain growers association booked me to come in and speak to their organization and so i've seen him on facebook turns out i was following him but he wasn't following me the nerve anyway you know how those montanans are his name's lyle benjamin he's got a really interesting story about the business end of farming i just ran across it here uh the other day and i said that's a story that needs to be shared because it can save some lives and it can it can help people look at their agricultural enterprise as more than just a lifestyle as an actual business and remember what i always say and i say it in my book food fear there is no lifestyle unless there's the business unfortunately so this idea we're all going to be out here just uh you know beautiful sunsets and harvest moons that only happens as long as the finances work out before we get to my man lyle we're going to talk to you about our sponsor the business of agriculture podcast is brought to you by harvest profit it's a software solution for managing the numbers side of your agricultural enterprise. If your farming operation or any farming operation or operator that you know of or work with could benefit from implementing software that will help them have more visibility and look at the numbers side of their farm, give them this. HarvestProfit.com. HarvestProfit.com. It's as simple as you go on there and you can get a 14-day trial. We know that these agricultural enterprises have a lot of money. They got a lot of software need, you know, buying, selling, uh, managing the books, and then, of course, marketing the product. HarvestProfit makes them more profitable. Okay, back to today's show. Lyle Benjamin, thank you for joining me. I told a little bit about your story. Let's start at the beginning. You're a grain farmer. You're a Montana person. And you had a whole, whole real coming to Jesus moment. You said, I'm going to stop farming because if this is a business, this business does not make sense. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. It was a hard decision, but that's the bottom line. The numbers didn't work and they were going to continue to not work until we ultimately failed. And I, I just couldn't do that. Um, I, I value all of my relationships within the community too much to go bankrupt and leave somebody holding the bag on bad credit. And so we, we looked at it we said, we've, we've thrown away $400,000 worth of equity over the last couple of years. And it doesn't look like that's coming back. Uh, so it's, it's time to cut our losses and, and go do something else. 
love the way you uh, are so honest about it. And that's why I said, I want you to come on and talk about this. So dear listeners, you know, my heart's in agriculture. Everybody that works in this industry loves it. Most of us are from it. There's the couple of things though that work against us. We have this thing where we want to cling to this ideal um, that, you know, this was granddaddy's farm and, and, you know, granddaddy and grandma made it through the depression. By golly, I'm going to get through this. We put our head down and we work hard and there's nothing wrong with that. That's why we are what we are. Sometimes we let emotion cloud our judgment, which is what happens in a lot of businesses, Lyle. And we say, nope, I golly, I'm going to stick with this thing till the bitter end and the bitter end comes. And they have, as you said, eaten through every last bit of equity. And now their only option is to default. And then that screws over the trickle down theory. Like we're, you know, like we're seeing with the, uh, the pandemic, there's the trickle effect of all of that. Um, you don't pay your note, the far, the local farmer bank, has a loss on their hands. Uh, you don't pay for your John Deere. The local John Deere dealership has a loss. Your pickup truck, your seed, your feed, your your chemical, your diesel bill. It hurts a lot of people. You said I'm not going to do that to the community that I that I live and support. Absolutely. You know, we've we've been in this community for a little over 100 years. We've got really good relationships with all these people that we do business with. Uh, they're, you know, their their kids or in, in my son's classes, I mean, there's, you just cannot do that to your community um, to ride it to the bitter end. Uh, and for whatever the, what reason other than pride, I, I just, I, I couldn't fathom um, taking that responsibility and, and throwing it away and, and throwing away all those relationships that we've built over the years. It just, it, it didn't compute for me. Uh, like, and what do I get out of that other than being able to say, well, I farmed for two more years before I went completely broke. And now I can't look anybody in the community in the eye. I can't walk down Main Street and walk into any of those businesses because I, I defaulted. I, I just couldn't do that. It wasn't the right thing to do. And um, I, 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 want, I like this community. I like all the people in it. And I, I wanted to stick with what I've got. You know, what's interesting is uh, most agriculture happens in rural areas, and we know that there's the the rural thing. Uh, you know, I live half the year in Phoenix, Arizona, Paradise Valley, Arizona. Nobody here knows me. I don't get talked about here uh, because it's a huge metropolitan area. In a smaller community, we get talked about, and we worry too much about that. There will be those at the coffee shop that say you're a failure. And where I think is that those just proves the sort of character that the coffee shop gossip crowd is, you're the furthest thing from a failure. You didn't ride this thing until you harmed yourself, uh, went to the garage and, and, and with a shotgun and harmed yourself physically. Um, you didn't harm other businesses. I, in my book, this is far beyond a failure. This is a person that said, you know, sometimes the, the smartest thing to do is just uh, fold up shop. And I, I know it had to be very hard. So uh, have you been told by anybody that you failed? I haven't. It's really been an interesting process. I've, I've seen empathy. Uh, I've seen guys say, you need to, to tell a story. Um, I've seen people say, you know, man, we did this 20 years ago and we, we came through it just fine um, or, or, or got better because of that experience. Uh, so I'm, I'm seeing different things. So it's been a positive thing in the community. You talked about those, that coffee shop crowd, the, the coffee clutch. Those guys are going to say the same thing, whether I rode this to the bitter end and went bankrupt or whether I did what I did, they're going to say I failed either way. So why would I listen to that crowd? You know, it's just, it's, it's fully, the, the dogs bark, the wagon train goes on. That's, that's where I'm at in this thing. I, I, I did what I did because it was good for the community. It was good for my family. And, 
at the end of the night, I can live with myself. You know, the coffee shop guys can, can do whatever they want and say whatever they want, but I, I've got to live with myself. Yeah, that's the best part, and uh, it's hard for some people to do. They unfortunately are too uh, dictated by what the coffee shop crowd uh, is, and, and I agree with you. I've not been, and you've not been. All right, let's start at the beginning. You're a 42-year-old man. You, uh, you're raised up there in, in Montana uh, on a place that grows wheat, oats, barley, what? Uh, this is all wheat country. Uh, malt barley is a is a common thing in the area I'm at. We raise for cores and constellation. Um, the pulses have come in here recently. We've seen peas, lentils, chickpeas, that sort of thing. Um, we really haven't seen the Midwest fringe acre phenomenon happen yet. There's no corn and beans here yet. Uh, but th this is a dry country. We get nine and a half inches of rain in this county. Uh, we try to raise a crop on that. We'll raise a 20 to 30 bushel crop on that rain. And it's, you know, it's tough country. It's hard country, but it's um, we've been farming that way for a little over 100 years in this area when it was homesteaded back in the uh, early teens, 19s. So you, um, you're you a 42-year-old man. You, uh, you were raised there. You went to college. Then you went and worked away from there, which is very valuable. As I, I tell everybody, uh, yes, agriculture is uh, something that's a family thing and you want to go back to it, but you do, your, you do your, uh, your business a disservice if you don't get away and see how things work elsewhere. So when did you come back? I came back in 2002, and that was, interestingly, that was the driest uh, crop year. We were following the driest crop year we'd probably seen in 20 years, or, or at least since 1988. And so I, I came back into this thing, and I'm thinking, why did I leave this awesome carpentry job to come back here? And the, the ditches are blowing full of sand, and the, uh, it, was, it was pretty ugly that spring. And then we got a nice June rain, and things perked up, and they've, they ran pretty well for about 10 years after that. But uh, Okay. And then the operation, what does the operate? Well, until you made this decision, uh, what did the operation look like last year? How many acres? Who's involved? What were you doing? So this was my wife and I, we, we, uh, and, a, and a hired man, full-time hired man. We were cropping about 3,500 acres. About two-thirds of that was malt barley that would sell to Coors or Constellation Brewing. Uh, about half of that would export to Mexico. Uh, usually about 20% of the farm would be in canola that would export up into Canada. Um, and then the books would be uh, a lentil or a, ch a chickpea or spring wheat uh, that would sell locally and then export uh, mostly to the Pacific Rim. Um, so it was it was myself and then the hired man as our was our core root work crew. During harvest, I'd hire some retired uh, border patrolmen to drive combine and trucks and that sort of thing. So we'd in in our peak season, we'd have four or five guys employed here, uh, and that's what it looked like for the last ten years or so. And uh, you owned, uh, of the 3,500 acres, how much that is owned? That was all lease ground. So the, the only thing that we owned was equipment. Everything we owned on our balance sheet had a serial number tied to it. Uh, you know, obviously those are depreciable assets. They don't go up in value each year. So you look at that, that's a reality of, of a balance sheet like that. You're not making money on serial numbers. No matter how nice they are, no matter how new they are, they're, they're a sunk cost. Um, and that was part of what drove our decision was uh, this declining balance sheet. Um, you know, if we had a thousand acres that were deeded to us and we were kind of halfway paid off, that's a whole different situation. It looks completely different. Um, but again, you're looking at that equity bleed. Are, you know, are we just subsidizing this thousand acres that we may have owned um, for pride? I, I probably would have made the same decision, um, even with that in the background. 
Yeah, I mean, there's folks right now that are listening to this saying, well, his problem is he didn't he didn't own any land. He should have, instead of going and buying those pieces of equipment, should have bought acres. And you say, I can, I can personally, because I'm from the dairy background, I know of dairy farmers that own property, and all they did was eat their property up to keep milking cows. Uh, we saw that, uh, we've seen a couple of times throughout history, unfortunately. So it's really not about owning the assets, uh, whether they're uh, – machinery or acres, it's still a matter of, uh, does it make sense as a business? Yeah, absolutely. Does that asset make more than it costs today to, to own it? So you're, you're chugging along, you ate into, uh, you'd ate into your, you, you, you had to get into your own pocket to keep things going. You were producing at a loss last year and, or maybe the last couple of years. So tell me how this transpired. You know, we're recording this in April of 2020. When did you start having these thoughts? A year ago? Uh, that was when it probably, the, the thinking went vertical. Uh, but we've, the last four or five years have been pretty ugly. As I said, we, we threw away $400,000 worth of equity over the last few years. Uh, 2014 was probably our, our high water mark. And we've looked at that uh, going forward and said, you know, each year we've we've had to work hard to get an operating loan, and we've we've seen an equity decline each of those years. And finally, this year we said, you know, what this is a, clearly a trend at this point. And looking forward, I don't see that trend changing shape or direction in the next few years. So why would we throw another couple hundred thousand dollars down that hole? Um, the, the only opportunity we have this year is if it rains. And, you know, obviously this is dry land country. We don't have irrigation. We can't turn on the moisture. Uh, so that's, that's really a throw of the dice, especially when you look at the, the rainfall trends that we've seen the last few years. So I, I looked at all those things and said, you know what, this does not make sense. There, there, is, there is no conceivable um, upside that, is, that looks promising here. And so we, we start, it took me a month to make that decision. Um, because it's a very difficult, you know, culturally, you look at this decision and think, you know, great granddad homestead this in 1911. He didn't lose it. Granddad didn't lose it. My dad didn't lose it. And here I am, and I'm going to be the guy that, that walks away from this. And yet, you know, you, you look at that, where did great granddad come from in 1911? Well, in my case, he came from Idaho um, because there was a better opportunity in Montana. Before that, they were in Missouri. They left Missouri for a better opportunity in Idaho. And, you know, so you, you look back through the family history, there's our American culture is one of not accepting where you're at today and going on to the bigger, better thing. That's America in a nutshell. And so why, why would this generation look at that differently? You know, uh, I agree with you. And uh, so moving forward now, uh, you've got uh, machinery to sell. And maybe you need no. to do that because there's some note against that. And you're saying that there's no real estate or the real estate is held by your mother and father or how's that look? So this land was all leased land. We had, it was leased from a distant family member. Um, so that the lease, we were at the end of a lease. So it was a clean time to not renew the lease. A couple of neighbors split that ground and picked it up. Uh, the, the farm equipment, um, we, we owned a, a portion of it ourselves and I, I had a partnership with my dad on, on some of the rest of it. Uh, so we've got that all for sale. Uh, over the last couple of months, we've sold about half of it. Um, and, and again, we, we took a look at that reality and said, how, you know, we're going to take all this this asset that we're going to liquidate and now we're going to pay taxes on that money that we're bringing in against no expense. Um, 
that's that was a, a that is a tough pill to swallow. Um, to it, it almost feels like we're being penalized for making a, a sound business decision. Well, that's uh, of course I make the joke all the time that my farm people, Mike, you know those farmers, they would rather go out in the barnyard and have someone beat them with a ball bat than pay taxes. I mean, they just absolutely, they make so many decisions about not paying taxes and I get it. I'm a farm guy. Um, you're doing the right thing. You're, you're getting out of your, uh, you're getting out of your, you know, a situation that wasn't working for you. Are you going to be clear, free and clear? Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Yeah. We're, okay. we're going to be able to, we're starting over in, in other directions and yeah, we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to finish out ahead of the game. Okay, so the personal part of it, the reason that we know and we're sadly in an industry that um, has a higher suicide rate because, uh, you know, like I said, the, the guy feels like he's, he's a failure. And, and, and I say guy, it does tend to be obviously more male than female but on the suicide rate, particularly in agriculture. And, um, you know, did, did you ever get to where uh, six months, 12 months ago, you did feel like a failure and you said, I'm, I'm going to... I think the best thing for me to do is not be here because I can tell you that my business has made me cry. I can tell you that in 26 years of piloting my own enterprise, I've gone through some of the depths of hell where I lost half of my net worth. The phone didn't ring for six months. Every decision I made for a couple of years seemed like it was the wrong one. And I remember thinking, I'm a failure. And so I, it's, I've, I've been through some real uh, challenges, uh, you know, and I saw the farm crisis of the 80s. And, you know, did, when was the depth of hell for you? Uh, probably actually about uh, a year, maybe two years ago. There, there was a there was a time frame that I I recognized that it was probably a year long that was just a a really deep funk, and I mean the farm wasn't thriving. It, forget thriving. It wasn't even it wasn't even making money. And uh, you know I, I I can't say I went out ever out into the shop with a shotgun, but I I did know where the shotgun was, and you know I I thought through the different ways to to go out and you know, those are dark thoughts. Those are ugly thoughts. And all of a sudden you realize, Hey, I, I was thinking about hanging myself or gassing myself or shooting myself or whatever it is. And, you know, especially when you think about the, the, the logic of it and you're, you're thinking rationally about, well, I can't do it this way because, you know, I don't want my kids to think about me in that way. And I, I can't do it this other way because I don't want my kids to think about, you know, so how dark is that? That is, I know. That is ugly. I, I know. And, you know, uh, there's there's folks that um, and we're not making light of it. Uh, you know, obviously, you're like, hey, man, geez, usually you're kind of funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I've got a comedy background. I can tell you that 2003 and four and five, probably right in there was the depth of hell for me when I went from, uh, uh, you know, having been very successful and then you just keep losing. And like I said, you just keep throwing stuff at the wall. I didn't open my gun safe for about six months. And, um, I, and you know, I didn't tell anybody that. But I just didn't. And I said, I, I don't want to even open that and look and see what's in there. I said, this is, and I knew, I knew I wasn't well. And, um, you, you know, so you and I both understand it. Don't you feel like now an anvil has been just taken off your shoulders? That's the thing. Uh, once, once the a decision and a clear path forward is rolling, there is, it's not light at the end of the tunnel. It's more like just you breathe, you breathe or something. Is, is that what you're feeling like now? Oh, absolutely. I, I was in my office. Uh, it was a Friday morning and we were, we were getting close to the internal deadline that we'd set for making a decision. And I, I got off the phone with the FSA lady after I'd kind of set up our, our exit strategy. And uh, that, that was when I had, I had made the decision. And I, 
I, I, I walked out of the shop office across the yard to the house and the sun was brighter. The, the birds were singing. I mean, it was just, there was, it was like I was in a hot air balloon. This just, just weight went away. So I went over to the house. I walked in, I, I, I told my wife, um, Hey, you know, I, I, we made this decision. I made this decision. This is what we're going to do. And she looked at me and said, okay, we're, we're going forward with that. And so another weight lifted off because now not only have I made this farm decision, that's huge, but now I've got, I've, I've got acceptance and buy-in from, you know, my partner, my, not only my wife, but my farm partner, she owns half of this thing. And the decision was certainly not unilateral, but it was my decision to make. Um, and, and, you know, my, certainly mine to break to FSA and to the, the, the banks and, and announce this thing. So absolutely it was, and for the next week, I, I was on this roller coaster of, wow, I made a decision and it's, it's awesome. It, oh my God, what have I done? And then, you know, it, it's, it's up and down and that's up and down. And as, as the week went along, those waves got closer and closer together. And I, I had some really deep conversations with uh, two or three friends that are uh, very close friends, some in ag, some not. And, you know, one of those conversations was four hours. I went over and I, I sat down with the guy and I said, hey, look, this is where I'm at. This is what we're doing. Here's why. And he just sat there and listened. And the, the phone rang and his wife called and said, are you coming for supper? And he says, no, I've got a, a conversation that's more important than supper right now. You, you do what you're doing. I'm hanging out here with Lyle. And that, that made me feel good because it was, a, it was a value that he he was willing to put aside some family time for me. And, you know, it was that those um, feelings that all of a sudden, Hey, I've got value in this world. And I'm, you know, somebody appreciates me and they, they want me to be around. They, they know they need to listen to me. And this is a critical time for me. So, you know, to be valued by, by a peer and a, a close friend is, and, and have it stated that way was just huge for me. Listening to Lyle Benjamin and he wrote a, he wrote an article called the business end of farming and made a very, very, difficult decision and that's why I said I had to have him on here. The Business of Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Harvest Profit. If you don't know about Harvest Profit, you should go and check them out. Check out harvestprofit.com. You can really help me out and then they'll know you came from this podcast if you type in Harvest Profit and then do a slash Damien. Uh, but either way, go to harvestprofit.com. You can try out their software for 14 days. Essentially, they have 600 customers in 26 states and four provinces. Uh, when Nick Horeb uh, set out to create Harvest Profit, he had an idea that he wanted to create a solution for farmers to make uh, their ability, their, their business, more confident. They can proactively uh, look at decision-making from the standpoint of how can I be profitable? It's a software to do a cost and profit analysis, grain marketing, grain inventory, and more. So check out harvestprofit.com and learn all about them. You're going to love their solutions to help your business be more profitable. So Lyle Benjamin is my guest. And here's the thing. Um, I want to know about the what happens then because there's probably people that are very detail oriented and they're saying, "Okay, yeah, you know, I think maybe I could I could probably relate to this. Things are not shiny out here for my operation. The balls, the the nuts and bolts of it." You said something about FSA. Uh, you called them up and said, "Hey, I'm not going to be leasing these acres anymore. Uh, those 1,600 acres went to so and so, and those 2,000 went to so and so. Boom, boom, boom." What happens? Tell me what happens. You obviously you made the decision with your wife. You both breathe the sigh of relief, and then you spend a week and a half saying, holy hell, did we do the right thing? But what happens? What's your day look like besides the four-hour sit-down with your friend? There's the go and talk to the bank. There's the go and talk to the John Deere dealership. There's the figure out this lease. And Tell me about it. 
Is so I, I took a week off. I mean, I, I was it, it's it's such a, a big decision that um, it certainly wasn't public except for those very few friends that I wanted to wanted to go talk to. Um, so I took a, I took a week and just eddied out. I didn't go to local basketball game. You know, my my own kids' basketball game. I, I I needed to be away from people for a week and just process. But within that context, I I had a, a, a an exit interview with my uh, banker. Um, I had a, a follow-on exit interview with my FSA banker. You know, b- both those have a very close relationship. Um, uh, I, I had a conversation with my landlord. Uh, you know, obviously this was a big change. It was going to affect uh, his interests in business. And um, so, you know, you, you start cleaning up those details. I started looking at my equipment lineup and and building some prices and, and figuring out how I'm going to sell that stuff. But um, really, I, I needed a mental break from the, the farm, the situation, the entire thing. I probably didn't take a big enough break. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of those things, life goes on, business goes on. And so I, I couldn't just completely step back from it, but I stepped away from people for a week while I processed that. And, you know, it was those few conversations that I had with direct friends were probably – the best thing I could have done uh, because they were, they were very direct conversations. And yeah. um, that, that was what my week looked like in that. And I, at that point, I didn't know what I was doing next. I, I didn't have a job I was stepping into. I didn't have a position I was stepping into. Um, I, I, I really didn't know what it looked like. So, but I needed a break from what we had been doing. And there's the emotional part of it. There's the, I mean, you're, you're not afraid of working. It's just more that, then you say, what do I do? You know, it's almost, uh, well, frankly, what the uh, coronavirus time has done. Uh, I told Lori, I said, I work every day, but it's not the same kind of work as getting on airplanes and, and generating revenue and all that. I said, it seems like I'm more tired from doing the the work of not revenue generating stuff. And so there's a reality to that. Were you worried about revenue? Were you worried about looking forward? You know, you got children, you got a wife, uh, you got, uh, you're 42 and you said, I know I'll figure something out. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of folks that think that, but you know, the heck of it is if you go from losing money to just being at zero, that means you still went up. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the heck of it. Right. Oh, absolutely. Uh it's, you know, all of a sudden I have a with stability. A paycheck comes every two weeks. I know what the, that amount's going to be. I can I can write a budget that that cash flows. <laughs> you know, so that that was pretty cool. But uh, I, one of the things that we did in that week was sit down and figure out exactly what our cash flow needed to be. You know, farmers always have these. This is our living. This is uh, we we fill up the pickup with the fuel tank and. So we, we don't have a fuel bill because it comes out of the frame. Well, there's, there's all these things. So we sat down and figured out um, what we really needed out of, you know, the, the next salary that was coming in. And it's stunning what that is when you start putting those numbers together on a, on a sheet of paper, what your real living is compared to what you tell the banker you're taking out of the farm. Um, so, you know, we, we had that conversation. We figured out where it was all going to be. And I, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, man, we're in this rural community. What what are the jobs that are out there that match up what I have grown accustomed to for a standard of living? And let's be honest, there aren't that many. Farming is actually, in a lot of ways, is a pretty good living. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and you know, so the thing of, like you said, um, there's the farm game of saying, well, I don't make any money. It's like, well, you also have figured out a way that through the farm that makes you no money, you've got your vehicles, you've got your uh, your fuel, you've got your insurances, you've got all those things. And when you start yanking those things out as opposed to a normal job, and then you said, all right, I need to figure out a way to make a certain amount of money to pay for my uh, my car, my insurances, my gas, my electric bill, my utilities, my whatever. And then you said, what? So I, I narrowed it down to two different things. There's, you know, we could drive a crude oil truck, um, which is, you know, it's a, a pretty blue collar job. And I'm cool with that. Um, uh, and I, I, I explored that a little bit. Yeah, there wasn't any openings in that particular, um, uh, uh, this particular branch right at the moment. And so I, I sat back and I, I said, you know, let me adver- let me inventory my skill set. What am I good at? And, you know, I, I, I get along well, well with people. Obviously, I understand agronomy. I understand how farms work. I understand how, how to talk to people from my Montana grain growers uh, officership. Um, I'm, I'm a people person and I'm a, a, a skilled farmer, even if I couldn't make the numbers of it work. So how, how do I leverage that? And so I, I looked around and reached back into a conversation that I'd filed away a couple of months ago that I'd overheard one of our local um, chemical suppliers was, was looking for a guy. So I, I called him up out of the blue. I said, Hey, I, I heard, I, I remember you're looking for a guy. Um, to do egg sales, and I know a guy that you might be interested or in. Or gal, wait a minute, we need to point out here, because we have women that listen to this also, you're looking for a employee, you're looking for a person, and yes, if you're not looking for a guy, it, it would sound like you're being discriminatory, yes. <laughs> Roger that. So, so I said, you're looking for a person. He said, yeah, I am actually, who is it? I said, well, it's me, I'm, I'm quitting farming, and there was this long pause on the phone while he processed that, and he said, well, let me see what we can do, and so I, um, we, over the next week, we had a conversation and it, it worked out well. And I, I built a position and it, I, I built it, or I, I feel like I built that position from kind of scratch because I was able to leverage the things that I know that I'm good at. And, you know, so, so that was another one of those pieces where you, you look at what you're doing, you say, maybe my business didn't work and I, I had to, to liquidate it, but I'm not a failure because I have all these skills and qualities that I can turn into um, uh, an asset in another way and leverage those um, in the next career that I do, which, which is what I did. So it's, you know, you, you can decide you're a failure or you can decide you're a success. It's, it's up, really up to you how you approach the, the problem you have in life. I decided I was a success and went forward with it. All right. His name is Lyle Benjamin. Uh, and there are a lot of folks that are dealing with the real struggle of, I'm a business, I'm an agricultural business. I've got the the part of me that's compelled to keep this going. I've got the other realization that uh, some of this is a uh, is not working right now. If they want to reach out to you, send you an email or something, uh, I imagine you'd be helpful and, and uh, you know, let them talk to you. Because as you pointed out, if we just help somebody save the farm or better yet, save their life, so how do they reach you? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Damien. Uh, so on Twitter, you can follow me at Lyle Benjamin four, or my email is if Lyle Benjamin, the number, the number four. Yes. Yep. And Lyle that's going to be number four is his Twitter handle and an email. Email. It's going to be difficult. Uh, Skookumshuck.ag.lyle at Gmail. 
Uh, spelling on Skookum Chuck is S K O O K U M C H U C K dot A dot L Y L E at gmail dot com. Uh, and if it's a problem, reach out to me, and I'll I'll make the connection for you all. Um, okay, last last couple of questions. Now you've had long enough to get clarity. Any regrets? Regret that you didn't do it sooner? Regret that you didn't do it right? Regret anything? I, I, I've thought about that, and I, I honestly look back at the 17 years that I farmed, and I, I love every minute of that. It's a good memory, and I, I wouldn't have done it differently. Um, but, you know, certainly there's some strategic decisions that I would have made. As I look back, I can see the different places that, um, that I, I misstepped you could say, but, um, I, we, we went forward as, as far as we could and as long as we could, uh, but we didn't go too far. And so I, I don't regret, um, making this uh, pivot and I don't regret, uh, taking the last two years and farming as long as we did, you know, we certainly could have quit a couple years ago, but I, I, we, we, we went as far as we could, as hard as we could until it was, time to, to leave and still have some skin on our back. I was going to tell you that if you had said uh, you've got all this list of regrets, I'd say, well, first off, it's natural when a person gets old enough and has made enough decisions, there's going to be some that you wish you'd have done differently. What I've discovered is uh, regret will kill you. It's that it's that ulcer-causing, uh, wake you up in the middle of the night so you don't sleep. It's just an absolute um, killer. And you, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'd have probably changed some decision making. I always point out, Lyle, when they say, looking back, I wouldn't change a thing. I'm like, are you a, are you a dumbass? Looking back, you would have changed a thing. I'd change lots of things if I could do it over again, but you can't. So therefore, you learn from it. You, you look back and say, okay, what I learned from that, but regret, regret's a killer. And I'm glad you didn't say you regretted a lot of things. It's that, yeah, you kind of would have tweaked a few decisions. That's natural. That's being smart and learning from your background. Closing thoughts, Lyle. I would just say if, if you're in this situation, take a hard look at where you're at. Take a hard look at what's behind you and how you got to where you're at. Um, and, and remember the culture that, that America is built on, which is taking today's problem and turning it into tomorrow's success and, and building on that. You know, th this country was not built by people that say, where we're at right now is awesome and we should go back two steps. It was built by people that said where we're at right now is, is decent, but we can be better tomorrow. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of optimism in that. And we, this country's built on hard work and not just hard work, but smart work. Um, so take a look at what you're doing and make sure what you're doing is working smart. I love your closing thoughts. Uh, my name is Damian Mason. His name is Lyle Benjamin. He told you how to find him. The business of agriculture is brought to you by my good friends over at Harvest Profit, a company founded by Nick Hora, but they are a Fargo-based company, but does not make any difference where they are or where you are because they can help you. Their products are helping farmers in 26 states and four provinces. They have over 600 customers. They can help you run the business side of your business. Grain merchandising, uh, P&L, uh, expenses, it's all about the business side of your uh, of your operation with that in mind this has been a podcast we're going to call the business end in pharma farming and uh, my guest was Lyle Benjamin he's going to get a copy of food fear 
because he has a little bit more time now because he's not busy putting in crops this spring. So he's got time to read Food Fear. You can pick up your copy at DamianMace.com. Lyle, you're awesome. I really appreciate you being on here. Thank you, and I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and, and share this message. It's This was a pleasant interview and a lot of fun. It's an important one, too. Till next time, thanks for being here, Lyle. Until next time, it's the business of agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of the business of agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.